find your place in the prophet Haggai. I told you my way of doing it last week. You may be singing the song in your head to try and find it. I go for Matthew and work my way backwards because that's just easier for me. This phrase, consider your ways, caught my attention. It caught my attention as we were finishing up our study, or at least my study of, I'll pray you were studying it with me, of Romans chapter 6. About in the middle of Romans chapter 6 in our study, I was working through the phrase reckon. And I came to this thought process of considering this. That there are things we know that are true about Christ and about his word. There were things that we should reckon. We should consider them. We should count them as true. And so I was during some, doing some further study on that phrase, that word consider. And that journey of study led me to the prophet Haggai. Because multiple times the prophet says, consider your ways. And as I was working through this section of Scripture and talking to a few other people, um, I just thought this was somewhere I wanted to be for a few weeks in this book because it really just challenged me, it convicted me, it worked in my own heart, in my own life, and I pray that it does the same for you. For a few of you, this will be probably the third or fourth time we've went through this, so I apologize for that. Earl, I'm going to move this because I can't see with this in the way. Hopefully my wireless is on. If I need this... Yeah, let me go on. If I need that mic, I'll go back to it. Just tell me to go back to it. But for some reason, I'm not seeing with it right in my face. So if this will be some review for you um, that were here last week or even in the evening service. We covered some of this. Most of it's in your sermon notes. So I'm going to just kind of rapid fire through these first introductory thoughts because we've went through them before. But I think it's beneficial for us to go through them again. I was always taught as I led and as I trained people that you have to hear something seven times for you to even remember it so even if I do this seven times you may remember it right and if I only do it three well you still may remember it depending on who you are or how you remember things I thought this picture before I go on is fitting I'm going to use it a couple of different times I think that's my journey with Jesus a lot of times I'm hoping that my journey with Jesus just kind of goes like this but a lot of times it's like this a lot of times it's like this repeat again and again and so i was looking through some different images and i thought for me that just summarizes my walk with jesus now i hope it's not like one of these where i'm going this way and then down i'm hoping i'm going this way and then back up but as you look at that picture i want you to be thinking where are you at where are you at in your walk with christ where are you at in your journey with jesus do i need some batteries oh that's no fair and no fun. I felt like I had Mike. Maybe I'm just that loud today, Les. Maybe I don't need it. Nobody said anything, so. You guys all right out there? Okay, good, okay. I knew you were. Let's try this, Earl. Is that going to be really loud now? It should be on. I got full batteries. Okay, we good? And hopefully the spirit's still working. Oh, you guys are kind of just here today. We're going to have to work on this a little bit. Consider your ways. Let's cruise through this. I told you when I was studying through this section of scripture, I had the great idea to start a seminary class when I first came here to First Baptist Church. And just with my schedule, I never accomplished that. 
I bought all of the books for the class on the minor prophets because I told you a couple of weeks ago that if one of my weaknesses in the scriptures, I have multiple weaknesses in the scriptures, but one of them would be the minor prophets. So I bought all of those books and I've read through all of those books. And as I was watching some videos in regard to that seminary class, the instructor pronounced this book Haggai. So that's what I'm going with. If you say Haggai because you learned it from Awana song or your pastor used to say it or you say it that way, great, run with it. We're not going to debate that. I'm not going to discourage you. Uh, we're not going to get in a fight about it. I just pronounce it that way because that's the way I was taught. His name means festive or festival. We covered this just briefly, but I um, run back to it because when you unpack the root of his name, it means festive or festival. So most believe that he was probably born on a festival, uh, either a feast of the Lord or maybe just a festival time. Maybe it was an answer of prayer in his family and his family was rejoicing and they had their own personal festival. Maybe it was a time where he was born of one of the feasts and so there was a festival taking place and so this prophet was named. We have little to no background. It's not like other prophets where we have a line or a family name to go from or there's other scriptures we can look at. We can certainly look at Ezra and I would encourage you as I did last week if you want some correlating study I know you all have all kinds of free time to just sit around and read the Bible. But if you have some time and you want to read through Ezra, or at least just be thinking about what you know of the book of Ezra, there is a good correlation there, and he's referenced a couple of times there. It's one of the shortest books in the Old Testament. Obadiah is the shortest. Haggai is the second. And so that's why I'm running with it. It gives me three or four weeks of sermons probably, maybe some more depending on how long uh, we unpack this for. He's referenced once in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews Seems it or feels it fitting to reference the prophet Haggai, the very end of this section of scripture, when he's talking about the kingdom of God. Once again, we'll get there as we get there in this book, and we'll cross reference that in Hebrews chapter 12. He's a contemporary of Zechariah, so once again, if you know what's going on in the time of Ezra, they're rebuilding the, the walls of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, rebuilding Jerusalem, and supposed to be rebuilding the temple. They stopped rebuilding, so that's where Haggai and Zechariah step in. The Lord of hosts, the word of the Lord, comes through them to encourage the people to rebuild the temple. And really what I'm getting from this and what I hope you get today and as we work through this section of Scripture is a renew of our worship. Because the whole goal of rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls, and rebuilding the temple is that worship of the one true God, the Lord of hosts, would be renewed in the hearts and the lives of the people. And so that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. That our hearts would be renewed, that our spirits would be stirred, as we'll read in this text, and that the Lord of hosts would be truly above all else. Here are some things that I want to set before you. This is just from your pastor's mind, but I am pulling these things from the text because the prophet Haggai calls the people to look inward. He wants them to look inward for a moment to see where they're at. And we'll read that when we get to verses 2 and 3. Consider your ways. He wants them to take a brief moment and look outward so that they would realign their purposes. When we read through this section of Scripture, you're going to see them look at the world around them. They have a clear command from God to rebuild the temple, yet the work is not complete. And so they need to have their purposes realigned with what God originally called them to. And then once again to land at this place where they would gaze fully upon the Lord of hosts who is sovereign, who is supreme, who is the commander of all of the hosts. 
and they would worship him above all, and that they would have a renewed worship. And so that's my prayer, that's my hope for you and me once again, that God would reset our priorities, and we would allow him to do that. That we would look at the world around us, and I think we would all agree, as we have in the past, the world is in ruins, and it needs a Savior. Amen? There's people in my family, there's people in my neighborhood, there's people in this community, there's people across this country that need to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They need to know the Lord of hosts, and I have the opportunity to speak those truths to them. And I want to realign my purposes. I've got lots of plans, I've got lots of ideas, I've got lots of things that I would like to do. But I want the Lord to be over all of that. I want the Lord to be in that. And I want to be working with the Lord wherever he is. And I pray that that would give me a renewed worship. Because I will repeat it again and again. When we have a renewed worship for the Lord of hosts, he will realign our purposes. And when he is worshipped above all else, he will reset all of our priorities. Follow along, Haggai, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and the temple to lie in ruins? Here's our key. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves and no one is warm. He who earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for, for, I called for a drought on the land, and the mountains, on the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on the men and livestock, on all the labor of your hands." Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am. I'm with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, 
and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked. Worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month and the second year of King Darius. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, my prayer is that you, the Lord of hosts, would stir our spirits today. That through the reading of your word, your Holy Spirit and your word would cause us to consider our ways. That our hearts would be open to you resetting our priorities. That we would realign our purposes with you today. That we would commit, Lord, to have a renewed worship. And the only way that that can take place is to stand back and be in awe of you. Lord, I praise you for your word, spoken through the prophet Haggai, that can still speak to us today. Lord, my prayer as we unpack and work through this section of scripture, we would see the historical context of it. But we would also spend some time understanding how this text can move us, how you can motivate us, how you can point us back to a renewed worship of you. We love you, Lord. We ask your blessing on this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you guys need to stand up, need to move around. Okay, you're all doing okay. That's good. I want to unpack that phrase, consider your ways, this morning. Consider, as you would probably think, means to set, to appoint, or to commit. Your here is an interesting word because it's more than just me or you in our being, in our physical aspect. It's our being. So when he says, consider your way, he's saying, commit, or set, or appoint your very being. Your heart, your mind, your soul. That the way you are going would be the same way as the Lord would call you to go. He uses this phrase, consider your way, in verse 5 and verse 7. And then in chapter 2, he just simply says the word consider. And so he's wanting these people to commit. To commit a fresh, a new way. They knew clearly what they were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be coming back from Babylon, out of exile, into Jerusalem, where God had called them, rebuild the walls, rebuild the city, and rebuild the temple. What happened? Well, there was persecution from without, there was persecution from within, and they stopped working. They stopped doing what God had called them to do, and 16 years went by. And here comes the Lord of hosts to speak through the prophet Haggai, through the prophet Zechariah, to stir up the people. Get back to the work that I called you to do. You had committed yourself to this at one point. Boy, I bet they were cheering when they were leaving Babylon. I bet they were cheering when they got back to their homes. But for whatever reason... Well, we know the reasons, persecution within, persecution without, and troubles. Well, we're going to go back to our houses and work on what we should be working. The word of the Lord to me and to you calls us to consider our ways. This is the way I'm going to put it. It stuck with me. Hopefully it sticks with you. But set yourself on course with God. 
That's just the simple phrase that I want to put before you that I'm drawing from about the first seven verses. That you and I would consistently set ourselves on course with God. Because 16 years can go by and we can look back and we it's a blink of an eye, right? You guys say it. The older I get, I say it too. It was just a few years ago. Sherry's like, it was 20 years ago, Matt. <laughs> it was eight years ago. 16 years goes by, and these people are caring for themselves. They're caring for their families. They're not doing wrong things, so to speak, but they're not doing what God had called them to do. And so I just would want you to think, as believers in Jesus Christ, what has God called you to do? We know there's clear commands in scriptures that are across the board for every born-again believer in Jesus Christ, but I know that also God has specific calls on your life. And so I would want you to just be thinking about what God has called you to do. And do you need to go back and say, I want to set myself on course with God? I pray that's what you would long to do. I want to pause just for a moment here, and I want you to picture something with me. I want you to picture a people, a people that were taken into captivity. They were not where they should have been physically or spiritually, and they are held captive. They are held captive in another city, in another place that God had never intended them to be because of their own sin. Because they had forsaken the Lord. They had forsaken His way. They had forsaken His word. They had forsaken His work. And what He desired them to do, worship Him above all else. And so here these people are and they are chained. They're in captivity. But all of a the sudden, there comes a deliverer. There comes a word that they can be set free and go back to where they're supposed to be and go back to doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were called out of captivity, given freedom. But then all of a sudden, as they get back into the city, the work was hard, there was persecution. And so once again, the people choose to go their own way. Their way, their work, their worship. It was all about them and not about God. Dear friends, I'm fearful that you and I can sometimes get in the same rut. We can get into the same place. I don't know about you, but I know about me. God delivered me from captivity. He set me free from the penalty, the punishment, the power of sin in Matt's life. He called me to a specific thing, to a specific place, to a specific people. And though the work may get hard, though there may be suffering and affliction and persecution, the work must continue on. And so you and I can think through our own lives and maybe you can interject here wherever you have been at in your life. Whatever God has called you from and called you to, my encouragement would be keep doing it. Set your course back on God. Maybe you've got distracted from it. Maybe it's even with good things. 
There's nothing wrong with the people who are here rebuilding their own homes, is there? Taking care of their own families. No, there absolutely is not. But their priorities and their purposes took their focus off of God and put it back on themselves. He says, my house, my temple lies in ruins and you run back to your own way, to your own house, and you have all of the creature comforts you could ever need. And that's what leads me to verse 6. Gail, completely random. Can you turn some air on for me and turn this fan up on high up here? I don't know if it's just up here, but I just feel this. So sorry if I'm going to freeze anybody else out. Look at verse 6 with me. We get the concept of consider your ways. I think you're tracking with me this morning. You're following where the Lord would want us to be led in the historical context here, just brief. But then the application for you and me is to consider our own personal ways. And this is what really strikes me. He says you have sown much and you bring in little. He says you eat, you drink, you clothe yourselves, yet you're never warm. You earn wages, yet everything is empty. Here's what I wrote down this week. I'm never satisfied. Don't hold that against me later in the court of law. But I get something, and I want something else. Usually it's just silly things. Like, for example, I always used to joke with the girls and kind of poke at them because it was always about something being on sale, right? It's like, well, I don't really need it, but it was on sale. And I would kind of laugh about that and poke fun at them. But then it happened to me. It's a terrible thing. You're walking somewhere and you see hunting supplies on sale. Oh boy, I need those hunting supplies. No, I don't. But they're on sale. I mean, boy, they used to be $150. Now they're $75. I could use another pair of boots to sit on the shelf because what if my other ones get a hole in them? Or the one that really struck me is I was shooting really well. Archery sight dialed in. I'm ready to go for hunting season to the point where I Robin Hooded an arrow. That's really fun, but not when you shoot expensive arrows, right? It's great. Well, then I'm watching this video, and I'm watching this world champion archer who's shooting at a 3D course, and of course, they zoom in on his sight and his scope that he uses for hunting. And I was like, oh, I need one of those. I could really use one of those, and right now, they're on sale, Sherry. They're discontinued, and so they're selling these out, and this was her words to me. Weren't you just shooting your arrows like whatever you do there and it like hits the arrow? Yeah, I just did that. Isn't that good enough? No, I always want more. And I think from this text here, do you think about what you sow on a daily basis? Sometimes when you and I are working, we sow much, but we bring in little. And we do that when the Lord's not in it. You know that and so do I. We eat, but we're always hungry. He's using tangible illustrations for the people, like hopefully your pastor did with you, to show you and to show me that you and I, at our heart's core, are never satisfied, and that affects our worship. It's really not about archery. It's not about hunting. You could fill in the blank with anything that you struggle with or deal with, or it's just a silly, simple thing. 
But you and I know that if it comes to archery, or to work, or to family, or to friends, and it affects us there, it's going to affect our worship. And that's where the text is going here. They had everything they needed, but they were missing out on the awe and the fear and the reverence and specifically the presence of God. That's what they needed most. They didn't need a better house or a better roof over it or better paneling on it. They needed the Lord of hosts to be the priority in their lives. The more I have, the less I'm satisfied. And the more I have and the less I'm satisfied, the less I do for the glory of God. And thus, the less I do for the glory of God, the more work I do. The work sure is harder when I'm doing it for myself. Isn't it? So here's my thoughts from this verse 6. When I'm working for myself and not for the Lord, I might be physically satisfied, but I'm spiritually drained. There's one thing to give your heart and your soul to the Lord and just being physically drained. You've probably been there. If you haven't talked to Jay or anyone else that served in a summer camp, right? You're giving everything you got for the Lord your God and you are just physically drained. That's not what the text is talking about here. The text is talking about being physically satisfied, but spiritually drained. And you've probably been in that circumstance too, where you've worked and you've worked and you've worked and you just can't seem to get ahead because something's missing right here. You can work your hands and your fingers to the bones. And the text says you earn wages and you put them in a bag with holes. How long does that last? Not very long. And what am I left with? I'm left with some spare change. And what do I do? I take that spare change and I offer it back up to God and say, well, I guess this is all I got. I want to offer everything to him. There are points in times where certainly we are physically drained, but we should be spiritually satisfied in every area of our work. Amen. So whether you're the preacher or you're anything else, it doesn't matter based on your title or your disposition or where you're at in this place. Or who you are, our goal as believers in Jesus Christ is to be spiritually satisfied in Christ and we'll be satisfied in our work. We'll be satisfied in our homes. We'll be satisfied wherever we go. I pray that that connects with you. Something else that I jotted down that the Lord continues to teach me is this, that complacency in my life quiets God's clear commands. When I'm complacent, it's different than contentment, right? Complacent quiets God's command. The people were complacent in just doing what they were thinking was best, their way, their work, in their world, instead of doing what God called them to do. This happened in their lives. This happens in my life sometimes, and maybe it's happened to you. You see, when I'm complacent and I'm selfish, I can always justify delayed obedience. Grab that, hear it, let me say it again. When I, and I'm just speaking to myself, but I hope it impacts you, when I'm complacent, 
When I get selfish, I can always justify delayed obedience, and that's exactly what these people were doing. It's not time. It's not time, Lord, for your temple to be rebuilt. We need to do these things first. How many times in Scripture have you read people saying that? Someone says it to Jesus, let me go bury my father. Let me go finish working in the field. And Jesus says, no, come and follow me. They will bury themselves. The field will take care of itself. And so when I'm complacent, I know what God has called me to do. And I pray he has called you and you know what he's called you to do. Let's work through these for time's sake kind of quickly. Reset our priorities. Where am I drawing this from? So I see in verses 7 and 8, he's talking about a very clear reset. And so how do you and I do that? I hope you're thinking through this. I haven't lost you yet, but you're thinking through, okay, I'm on with, I'm with you, pastor. I'm, I'm hearing it from the text. I'm hearing it from you. I want to consider my ways. I don't want to be complacent. I want to be satisfied in the Lord. How do I do it? The text tells us. Verse 7, he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's for you and I who don't hear very well. He repeats it again. Go to the mountain. I'm going to simplify it this, like this. Get away with God. If you think about mountains, and we'll touch base on that a little bit tonight, but how many mountains in the scripture are huge things? Pun intended. Big mountains. When someone slips away to a mountain, they are fully focused on God. Think Mount Sinai. Think Jesus on Mount Olives. Think of the transfiguration. Think of Abraham on the mountain. There are so many places. And so what I just simply want to say from this text is obviously don't go to the mountains. But if you are going to the mountains, will you take me? Okay? If you're going to go to Colorado, take us with you. Just get away with God this week. Would you be devoted to set aside time to get away with God? To just focus on Him? Because when I am solely focused on His Word and His Spirit is working in me and it's stirring my spirit, then my priorities are right. He's above all else. And when God sets my priorities right, then I get to work for Him. I love how it says at the end of the verse where it says, and they went to work. I paused there purposely at the end of verse 14. And they came and they just said, good sermon. That was good, Haggai. Lord's with us. No, they came and they worked. There's always a response when the spirit is stirred in the governor, in the priest, in the people. There's a response. So, Take some time to be alone with God on a daily basis consistently. Then get to work for God. Maybe that's in the bank. Maybe that's in the factory. Maybe it's out on the farm. Put anything else in there. The school, wherever you are, get to work for him. That's where he wants to be. And that's where he has you to be. And then finally, it's not that... I would find pleasure. Sure, I'll be satisfied in him, but it's for his good pleasure. Look at the end of verse 8. Build the temple. Why? That I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Because there will be something there that you can physically see and the Lord's presence dwelt in the temple. And so they were drawn to it and they said, everybody, come and see. 
This is where our Lord God is. And when the presence and power of the Lord is seen, people's lives are changed. Is he the highest priority? I know the verse, and so do you, you, that his ways are higher than my ways. But is that a truth that I consider, that I commit to, that I count in my life? We need a reset of priorities. We need to realign our purposes. In verses 9 through 11, he's just basically getting the people's attention. He kind of leaves it from this earning wages into a bag with holes, which is just a simple illustration. I thought about bringing a bag with holes in it and a bunch of change and carrying it, and there's nothing left. There's nothing left at the end of the day. When you and I feel like that, we're missing something, and that something that we're missing is probably our awe, our fear, and our worship of the Lord of hosts. Because I can have nothing, like 34 cents in my bank account, and still be satisfied. Amen? God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. That's just your pastor's simple thought there. God will take, he will do whatever it takes to get your attention. It, he says right here, it, you did much, it came to little. Been there. Had something you really wanted, slipped right out of my hands. He called for a drought in verse 11. And it didn't just affect a few things. It was on everything, every work of your hands. He says, I'm letting that slide away from you because you need to have empty hands and an empty heart so that I can fill them with me. He blew it away. He called for a drought. Here's my thoughts there. God's glorious creation should get our attention. When you see a falling star, which I didn't get to see one last night. You guys saw some, I'm sure. Praise God. When you see the rain coming down, praise the Lord. When calamity comes and God gets our attention, we turn to him. Come to judges, study in Sunday school class. We're learning about that all the time. Help us, Lord. All right, here's somebody to help you. Help, we're stubborn, we don't listen. Oh, you're going to go back to your old ways. Let me send somebody else. Turn to him. When calamity comes, God will use it to get your attention. Turn to him. When you and I are dissatisfied in our work, in our worship, in the way that we're going, God will use things to get your attention. And he says, worship and serve me. God longs to realign my purposes and yours. And the last thing where I want to land today is that sense of renewed worship. Obedience and reverence will always renew your awareness of God's presence. That was the purpose, once again, of rebuilding the temple. The people had been absent from the provision, the power, and the presence of God. They were in captivity, right? God didn't go anywhere. He's still all-powerful. He was still going to provide for them. He was still present, but they needed something. They needed the temple to be visible so that they would be drawn to him to be renewed in their worship. The easiest way that I can put it in my life and hopefully encourage you in yours is that when we're obedient to the word of God and the spirit of God is working in us and we have fear and awe and reverence for the Lord of hosts, I know he's there. 
He's always there. But I have this renewed awareness that he is there. And I worship him. I worship him when he showers blessings. I worship him even in those times of calamity. I worship him because when I'm satisfied, dissatisfied, I have to find my satisfaction in him. The temple was the manifestation of God's presence. It was the primary place of worship. When the temple was in ruins, the spiritual state of the people was in ruins. God was active there. The people were actively serving and worshiping Him there. They saw clearly His provision, His power, and His presence. And so the temple must be rebuilt. Now obviously that's not for us today. We're not called to rebuild the temple. But we are called to be obedient to God's word, to revere him, to have awe of him, to fear him above all else. And so I would simply say to you, go back to those clear commands from the scripture that you know to love the Lord your God above all else. That's how Jesus would say it. And love your neighbor. He would say, lo, I am with you to the end of the age. What are you and I supposed to do? We're to go make disciples. He puts it really simple in Mark. Go. Go share the gospel. He tells his disciples before he ascends into heaven. The point being there is that when we are aware of the presence of God in our lives through the word of God, through his work in our spirit, we too will know his provision. We will know his power and we will awe, be in awe and be captivated by his presence. What's your response today? Would you take a brief moment this morning to allow the word of God and the spirit of God to stir your spirit? Maybe there's somewhere where you need to reset your priorities. That's between you and God. If you want to talk to me about it, great. I would love to talk to you about talk with you about it and work through it. We all glance outward. The world's a wreck, it's in ruins. But what about your world? What about your sphere of influence? Would you allow God to realign those purposes? And above all else today, would you just pause for a brief moment as we close in prayer and gaze upon the Lord of hosts? That through the working of his word and the power of his Holy Spirit, you would see him as that, the Lord of hosts. He is above all. He is supreme over all. He is sovereign over all. He is in control of all of the hosts in the heavenlies, and he is in control of all of his created things. We ought to be aware and worship him. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer and dismiss this morning? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful once again for your word to us this morning. I pray that these truths from the prophet Haggai would stir our spirit that just as you stirred the spirit of the governor of the priests and the remnant of the people in Haggai's day, you would stir our spirit today. Lord, we know there are priorities and there are purposes that distract us from doing what you've called us to do. Lord, we set those before you. That you would be over those things, in those things, and we would work with you 
alongside of you, but above all else that you would be the priority. Lord, I pray for our purposes. Would you realign them? Even take those good things, those things we have to do on a daily basis, those blessings we get to do on a daily basis. Would we align those things with your purpose, your plan, your will, that we might work and glorify you? And Lord, once again, would you stir within our spirit a renewed worship of you? A resounding theme throughout the scriptures, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Lord, you're always there. But many many times, our work, the world, our own ways, get in the way of us seeing you. Would you renew our worship, our awe, our fear, our reverence, so that we might be obedient to what you've called us to do. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. We ask your blessing upon it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know we have some special guests back here. Kristen and Joanna joined us, so I would ask you all to take some time to catch up with them. I know we're going to have some lunch afterwards, but would you catch up with them for a little bit? Do you girls want to come up and share anything? Do you want to? Do I have everybody sit back down then? I made them stand up to pray. Okay, they're coming up. Don't go yet then. We'll just have them come up here.